yesterday afternoon I was driving on the highway and I was eating a spicy potato soft taco from Taco Bell right and Mm -hmm. I was going 72 miles an hour and (laughs) I took a gigantic bite of the taco because I was wearing a brand new white t-shirt and so I wanted to Mm -hmm. get the eating over with as quickly as possible and there was one second where I could not breathe and I thought (laughs) (laughs) I was going to pass away yeah I guess that was like the biggest thrill of like the past month for me I think the most dangerous driving situation I've been in other than the time I almost get hit by a house but that's a different story (laughs) hit by a house (laughs) yeah I'll circle back to that (laughs) oh okay got it (laughs) Uh, but I was leaving Texas and the speed limit's like 80. So everybody goes mm. like 95, mm-hmm. but there's no, like it's concrete walls okay. just enclosing the road. So imagine like four lanes of traffic going 95 miles per hour inside these concrete barricades. And I get something in my eye. Oh no. My eyes were watering. I couldn't keep them open. They stung so bad. So eyes closed. I am driving at 95 miles per hour, surrounded by cars and concrete. Oh my God. I was like, this is it. This is where I die. Yeah. I would pee my pants. Yeah. But about getting hit by the house, it was the first time I drove to Texas and it was raining outside. And again, those concrete barriers and everything. So you can't pull off the side of the road. Mm -hmm. There was uh, this mobile home that they were moving, like one of those uh, big, like manufactured ones. Yeah. Um, And they were driving it down the road in the rain. And so one by one, the cars were going around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, those uh, oversized load trucks and everything on both sides of them. Yeah. Everybody was going around it just in the left lane that was empty. Well, I went to go around it. And as I am like halfway through like this house, it starts veering into my lane. (laughs) Um, And remember, I can't get onto the shoulder of the road. It is 100% impossible. So I slammed on my brakes Mm -hmm. in like the middle of the interstate and this house shot past me and swung all the way over into my lane um in front of me but I did miss it and then I did not pass the house for like 30 minutes because I was terrified of it yeah well your car is also very small my dad calls it a casket on wheels (laughs) (laughs) casket on wheels baby (sighs) what's that one movie where it's a haystack a one-wheeled haystack Um, (laughs) the aristocrats (laughs) you're not gonna believe this but it's a one-wheeled casket um (laughs) that's funny um hello everybody this is our traffic podcast called saints and witches welcome that's liz over there on the one-wheeled casket (laughs) And that is Sarah, who almost died eating a taco. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a Catholic. She's a witch. We make it work. Marriage is really hard. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta put in the work. Yep. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling this is going to be a super long episode because we just can't stop talking. No. Um, And my, (laughs) my story is like six pages, so... 
Yeah. Well, we have a lot to catch up on, I think, because we haven't done this in a while. No, um, I had to turn in my thesis, uh, which I defend next week. So mm. we, t- we took some time off. Mm-hmm. What day is it? What day is your defense? The 31st, which is wow. a Wednesday. Okay. I'm excited. Me too. Terrified, mm-hmm. but excited. I, mm-hmm. I just want to be done. Done with this. Done looking at the book. Done with the program. Just, I don't know. Throw me away. Yeah, just get like fuck off into nothing and nowhere. In, into complete obscurity. <laughs> Speaking of complete obscurity, this is a podcast that nobody listens to. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have new listeners, don't we? That's true. I was being self-deprecating. We have new listeners. Uh, welcome Scotland, finally. What took you so long? We've been talking about you for ages. <laughs> we have an episode titled after you. Yeah, it asks you if you're okay, and we doubt <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and also, hello, Norway, and hello, New Zealand. It's interesting we've got Norway since we're in Sweden today, Yeah, next door neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe we should talk about what we do on the podcast. Um, we tell each other stories about saints and witches. And if you're interested in that, stay tuned. And if you're not interested in that, fuck off. What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> So we are in Sweden today, which I mentioned in our intro. Mm -hmm. Um, Sweden is one of those long countries up yonder in Europe next to Norway and Finland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I will specifically be in Stockholm today, the capital, which is on the East Coast, where a witch named Malin daughter was tried in 1676. And this story has everything. Yay! It's got bestiality, mm. incest, family drama, Satan, orgies, mm. death by gunpowder. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. And figure out how that works. Yeah. Um, so comparatively speaking, Sweden didn't have many witchcraft trials. Because, uh, you know, we've talked about it in other countries that we get up into like the thousands and stuff. We're really mm-hmm. only in the hundreds here. Um, the country law of Magnus Eriksson had been put into effect around 1340, 1350. And it was one of those more lenient laws where witchcraft couldn't result in a death sentence unless the witchcraft involved murder or harm. So executions were pretty non-existent. Um, One guy was executed for sorcery in like the 1400s, but it was more about him being pagan than it was about him being a sorcerer. Mm, Got it. It wasn't until the 1500s, really, that trials picked up, uh, probably because they were picking up in other countries in Europe at this time and the craze kind of leaked over. Mm -hmm. But Sweden still only had like a scant handful of executions in this time period. You saw a lot more sentences for things like whipping and fines, which is kind of surprising. It is under Charles the Ninth or Carl, 
Well, he, he also goes by Carl. Sure. Which it's just another I name. <laughs> it makes me mad because it's the name of one of the rednecks in my fucking book. So now I just think of this king as like a redneck from my small town. Coral. <laughs> he king drinks Coral. Bud Light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Bushlight, actually. Excuse you. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> He's got a lawn chair, a pickup. He hates his wife. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> uh, so Carl, um, a Protestant in 1608, uh, Sweden underneath him in that in that year gets a new witchcraft act. Mm -hmm. Um, that replaces that country law that there was before. Um, And I wanted more info on this new witchcraft act, or I wanted to read it because in some cases I do get to read those laws. They are Mm -hmm. available, especially in England. Um, But every article I found on the law was behind like like a paywall. Um, And I got Mm -hmm. really tired of looking. Those fucking academic articles that they're like $29 to access this. It's like, I don't give a shit like that much. It is class warfare. It is. And like that money doesn't even go to the authors. Yeah. Like it goes to the site. Yeah. It's it's just so much bullshit. I just want to know things. Let me know things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anywho, the act essentially revokes the murder requirement in the previous act, uh, kind of in the same way that James the First Act revised Elizabeth's to be harsher. Um, So witchcraft full stop can now receive the death penalty, Mm. Uh, not a matter of harming anybody like just being a witch can get you killed. Um, But still, while there was a a witch hunt in the early 1600s, like as a result of this law change, there still wasn't that many trials or executions, even during that witch hunt in the early 1600s. And after this period, that witch hunt of the early 1600s in the 30s, 40s, 50s, this time period that came after it, uh, we see even fewer trials and executions. It's about, I wrote down, it's about 100 or less altogether, like trials. Um, not, not that many. Mm-hmm. And punishment skewed toward fines, whipping, and banishment. Mm. So... Even of those like small amount of trials, execution was like few and far between. Anyway, it's not until the 1660s or 1670s that Sweden swings into another period of hysteria. And it's around this time under the reign of Charles XI uh, that to handle the growing hysteria in Sweden, a national witchcraft commission is formed. They get rules put into place in 1673 that they can only execute people who confess of their own volition and can only execute people who played leading roles in whatever happens. So, like, those are the two criteria. Okay. But a year later, those rules get revised. Oh, great. Like, one year later, they're like, hmm, this isn't working out for us. <laughs> We're not killing people. We don't like being lenient. <laughs> We haven't reached our our murder quota. (laughs) No, they have not. So they fixed the rules uh, to one, you can be executed now, even if you don't confess. Oh, great. And two, torture is legal. Mm. So 
torture had been used before, but like they were illegally using torture. It was frowned upon. Now it has a complete pass. Mm, Go ahead. Use all the torture you want to torture for everybody and you get torture and you (laughs) get get torture. torture. Everybody gets torture. Look under your chairs. (laughs) Torture. (laughs) I'm picturing Oprah as the inquisitor for every trial from now on. So uh, guilty, even if you don't confess, is a surprise tool that's going to help us later. Perfect. Um, Yep. So just keep that in mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Anywho, this commission's rule change falls smack dab in the middle of Sweden's 1668 witch hunt, known as the Great Noise, which I love. I like that like, a that's, lot, too. It's such a spooky name. Mm-hmm. Everything else is like the witch hunt of year or like the Great Scottish Witch Hunt. What I, I said, it sounded like uh, one of those things that they have like dogs at and they chase foxes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, The Great Noise sounds like a horror movie, like a modern horror movie. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's good. Mm. This witch hunt ran for about eight years and was the largest witch hunt in Sweden, killing approximately 300 people. Holy shit. So big in comparison to like all of the trials and stuff that have come before and even the early witch hunt in the 1600s. Um but like compared to other countries, like 300 is not that many, especially because this was over the course of eight years. And there are some towns out there that murdered that many people in like a couple of months. Yeah. So. Okay. So what's unique about the great noise is that we don't really see trials over what we've seen in other countries. It's not this widespread panic over witches cursing neighbors or killing cattle or destroying fields there's not like eating babies or casting spells Mm -hmm. hailstorms robbing graves like none of the stuff that you would expect okay the focus of these trials is predominantly abduction fornication and incest Mm, the big three (laughs) (laughs) they could pick anything and they chose these three things Mm -hmm. okay that's weird (sighs) It's strange. Um, They're very concerned that women in the country and in their towns have been abducting their children, whisking them away to Sabbath on an island called Blokla. I think I said that correctly, Blokla, where these women and just sidebar really quick. I'm going to say everything in this episode wrong. I'm up. I'm forgiving you on behalf of Sweden, who doesn't (laughs) listen to the podcast. So... (laughs) You can have a say when you listen. Yeah, fuck you, Sweden. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Rude. So they're concerned that their kids are being abducted and taken to these witches' Sabbaths on that island that I may or may not be able to pronounce, Mm -hmm. um, where these women and these kids have sex with Satan and have orgies and sell their souls. Oh, boy. There are also incest accusations where women are said to have molested their own kids on the island. Gross. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. No. At all. Not my favorite. Mm -mm. (laughs) People are super concerned about this for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very specific thing to be concerned about. Yeah. Hyper specific. Yes. 
interestingly, in these trials, the accusers are the children, like in the Salem witch trials. Mm. So it's not like the parents that are like, this happened. Like, it's kids that are like, this happened to me. Yeah. And lots and lots and lots of kids. Um, Mm. These kids are making up these stories and pretending to be afflicted and are pointing the finger at women around town. And I'm not sure why they do this at all. Uh, Besides the fact that it's like a weird thing to accuse people of. Um, These kids also get punished in these trials, like not killed, but punished because their accusations include the fact that they slept with Satan and sold their souls. Yeah, that is weird. That's like, so it reminds me of, maybe I'm like speaking too soon, but it reminds me of like the satanic panic in the 80s and 90s in America where like a bunch of like daycare workers were accused of like satanically like abusing children because the kids like said they were. And it was like, Mm -hmm. where does that come from? It's crazy to me. I have no idea. I I have no idea why this happens. It's fascinating, though. It really is from, like, a psychological standpoint to wonder, like, how you get this many kids to say this and why, like, the first kid would have started it. Mm -hmm. So these kids get punished alongside the witches. Uh, These kids get whipped or they have to run the gauntlet which is a punishment where you run between two rows of people who are Mm. trying to attack you. (laughs) That's fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, but it reminds me of a game that we had to play in high school called Rat Race. Uh, I don't... My high school made up a lot of games, uh, so I have no idea which games, like, other people played and which ones, like, my demented PE teachers came up with. Right. Uh, (laughs) But this game, like the opposing team stood in lines on either side of the gym's basketball court. And it was your goal to run to the far end of the gym and back without being drilled by dodgeballs that they Mm. were launching at you. So tell me that's not the same fucking thing. Yeah, I guess we did that too. Now that I think about it, I was like, rat race. But I think, what do we call it? I can't remember, but it was all those kind of games where, like, you have to get to the other side without being, like, touched by something or someone. Yeah, so, like, that's the modern version of (laughs) this fucking torture from the past. But children, so they're, like, attacking, like, five-year-old kids. (laughs) Yeah, and some of them are, like, uh, I know specifically some of them are, like, as young as seven, so. Oh my gosh. And not with dodgeballs, with, like, fucking stones and bayonets and shit. So. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is fucked up. Truly is. Uh, anyway, again, I'm not sure what these kids are getting out of this at all. In one town, specifically, 148 children are punished. So how? It's a lot of fucking kids. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous child witnesses is a 12-year-old kid called the Yevla Boy, whose real name is... Give me a second. (laughs) 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 It's three words. It can smell fear. None of them are... 
fun. <laughs> uh, so his real name is Yoan Johansson Greece. Sure. Uh, yeah. He arrives in Stockholm in 1675 and testifies that his mother is a witch who took him to Blokla and molested him there. Uh, so that's that's what she's prosecuted for. Oh, like boy. one of the things is not only being a witch, but like incest. So Woof. his confession kicks off this craze in Stockholm. Um, and by the next year, 1676, we have the Katarina witch trials in Stockholm. Name this because after families start locking up their kids indoors to keep them safe, like they are locking them up in groups and like putting guards on them. Jeez. A group of worried parishioners from St. Katarina's Church or St. Catherine's Church, uh, it goes by both, mm -hmm. they contact authorities for assistance in protecting their kids. And the help comes in the form of a series of trials. Of mm. course it does. Thank that you is so the much. answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we were thinking like maybe some more police officers or like some rations for our like locked up children, but no, you're going to kill us. Okay. Maybe you could have prayed or like asked <laughs> God to get rid of the witches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but no. no. <laughs> Eight women die as the result of the Katerina trials, and mm. I'm going to fuck up a series of names, so here we go. Mm. Uh, the eight people are sisters Anna and Britta Sippel, Anna Mon's daughter, Anna Per's daughter Lerka, Maria Joren's daughter, Margareta Mott's daughter, Anna Simon's daughter Hak, and Malin Mott's daughter. So that is our witch, that last one. Okay. Anna Mon's daughter was a suicide in prison. Ooh. And for some reason, Karen Yon's daughter, uh, Yon's daughter, is listed as a suicide, but not as one of the women of this trial. Hmm. Uh, don't ask me why, but I did read that Anna's body was still decapitated and burned. So I don't know if care like Karen's was or not so maybe that's the difference mm, that's weird I don't know uh, what trial was it that they killed a bunch of like dead people and like uh burned effigies and stuff yeah that was the Spanish one yeah with the auto de fe um yeah and some people counted the effigies and stuff as like deaths and some people didn't yeah um so I don't know if this is one of those cases where they decapitated and burned her dead body and it mm. counts and uh Karin doesn't so okay who knows nobody will tell me yeah so I make shit up and tell everyone <laughs> it's the truth mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep anywho I feel the need to mention the other women's uh names because they have names which isn't always the case whenever I research trials it's honestly really rare to run into a list of people mm -hmm. uh but of them i'm focusing on malin because her death is the most unique of this group of women uh we also have a decent chunk of information on her which is always nice i love to see like a multi-part like wikipedia page on a witch mm -hmm. uh, yeah so information that we have on her malin is a woman of finnish descent 
who knows her prayers in Finnish, not Swedish, Uh-oh. and also seems to struggle with the Swedish language. Oh, Another great. surprise to offer later. <laughs> <laughs> that is scary because it just made me think like, oh my God, the way that Americans treat people who can't speak English. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, it's not going to end well. Yeah. Uh, a decade before her trial, uh, Malin is married to a man named Erik, who is a blue-collar guy and also a piece of absolute shit. Oh, you um, said blue-collar guy, and I was about to be, like, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. No. Uh, uh, he's he's terrible. And this is objectively, not subjectively. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) They have two daughters together, Anna and Marie. It's Maria, but I never, I can't say your R's right. I'm sorry, Sweden. Um, Anna and Maria, Erik's daughter, who Erik beat often enough that they run away one day. Mm. When he gets them back, he has Malin beat the kids. So... The older daughter, fucking prepare yourself for this. Uh, the older daughter, Anna, who has had it with her parents, yells at her father during the beating, quote, God knows mother beats and you beats and I shall no longer remain silent. Such a sin you have committed all the time standing on a chair over our black cow like a rooster over a hen. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> oh no. So I hate she's the like so much. She's like blackmailing her dad. Yeah. Like um, if you don't stop beating me, I'm gonna tell everybody in town that you fuck cows. Well, she does just report it. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, he he beats her enough that she's like, fuck it, I'm gonna tell everybody that you fuck cows. <laughs> It seems so. fair. It seems like a fair trade. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she does report it. And in 1668, the same year the Great Noise begins, Eric is executed for bestiality. Um, okay. Yeah. Sayonara. And imagine, <laughs> imagine telling that to your friends or family. Like, oh, dad was executed. Oh, my God. Why? I'd rather not get into it. <laughs> You don't have to talk about it. It's fine. Uh, embezzlement, uh, anything. <laughs> You're like, I've never heard that word before. <laughs> this, is, this is 1603 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it would be better if he like kicked a baby or something than what he actually did. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. That's a toughie. Yeah, I'm like, how do you date after that? Like, how do you explain that? I don't think you do. I think you bury it deep down. Yeah, it's just my first husband's dead. That's it. Full stop. We're not talking about it. Yep. Yeah. So Malin remarries to a dude named Anders, but they fight so much that the girls, once they're old enough, move out. By the time of Malin's trial in 1676, Anders isn't really part of the literature anymore. Um, I have no idea where he went, but I kind of like it when the men disappear from the trials because <laughs> so often, like the women are just like shunted off to the side. Uh, mm-hmm. 
so I I derive a lot of joy from like and her husband matters so we're just not mm. gonna write about him yep Malin at the time of her trial is stated as owning a house in Stockholm despite being poor we don't seem to know her profession but she's said to have been a midwife at one point and was a midwife to Anna Sippel one of the other women in the Katarina trials but this connection isn't why she's accused Mm. and neither is like her job as a midwife and like we've seen that happen before like you you knew that which you worked for that which or you were a midwife and bad things happened yeah uh none of those things are why she gets accused um Mm. she's actually accused by her daughter Hmm. the older one the younger one oh so they're both just out to get their parents which is fair (laughs) Mm -hmm. so her younger daughter maria 19 years old at this point says her mother has swept her off to blokula every night since last easter and that her mother also has filthy language and if filthy language gets you killed like you're just gonna have to murder me right now ship me off to the chopping block because every episode I'm like I'm I'm gonna try not to curse as much Mm. this time or just not curse at all and then I edit that episode later and just hear all the fucks that I've garnished Mm -hmm. every sentence with and it's like ah beans I did it again (laughs) Ah, beans (laughs) yeah yeah I mean I didn't know you had that goal I do not have that goal but I, yeah, Maybe I, I feel bad that I curse so much, uh, but my dad worked in a factory for 22 years and brought that shit home, so. <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> um, Malin is questioned and asked to recite some religious materials, mm-hmm. and uh, she doesn't speak Swedish that well and doesn't know how to read either. So these prayers and things are being read to her and she is struggling to recite them back. Mm. This isn't great because it sounds like she physically cannot say holy words in scripture. Like something is impeding her, something evil. And I imagine her daughter probably knew that this was going to happen because in court, Maria, I can't say her fucking name, Maria not only sticks to her story but she adds to it and says that her mother not only abducted her to Blokla but other children too and that in the court right now at this very moment she can see the devil whispering in her mother's ear not to confess Jesus Christ when Malin is forced to get down on her knees and to confess by the court sidebar she seems to have retracted this confession later Maria says the devil disappears when her mother does this. This is, again, reminiscent of the Salem Witch Trials, because after this courtroom spectacle, two young children team up with Maria and accuse Malin of abducting them and say that they, too, can see the devil in court whispering to her. Oh, good Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> fucking kids. I hate kids. They're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> imagine if they could get you killed like they can they can and they will (laughs) no remorse yes uh an older woman does join in and says that malin abducted her children 16 times and so had anahawk another of the accused and that malin in prison 
is still continuing to abduct her kids. This woman's kids testify. Yeah, uh, I'll get to that. Uh, (laughs) This woman's kids testify that Malin beat them and told them not to tell anyone that she kidnapped them and that she magically beats them from prison. This is another semen loophole thing. That's exactly what I wrote. (laughs) Straight from my notes and out of Sarah's mouth. Uh. (laughs) The semen came straight out of my mouth. Disgusting. Why'd I say that? Gross. Um, Oh. That's gross. No, it's it's very urbane Gandhier and his whole magic semen thing from prison is what I wrote. You know, he's still wreaking havoc while locked up because there's space between the bricks, like spaces in the walls that like he can sneak out of and like his semen can sneak out of yeah. yeah. Uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> and this is your first episode, <laughs> might I direct you to our lovely episode named Semen Loopholes? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll understand what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah, I imagine that would be rather weird to hear me just say the word semen out of nowhere <laughs> with no context. So I apologize. and then we say we're on the same page same page same page everybody's like what the fuck (laughs) the mother of these kids tells the court uh hey if you don't execute this bitch i swear to god i'll just kill her myself um why she hates malin so much i don't know uh malin does seem to be an asshole but i don't know what beef this woman had with her to want her executed so badly because usually there's like an underlying reason Mm -hmm. um i don't know what it is in this case no idea the court itself also vexes me because i mean they're out here doing their like due diligence by asking maria hey are you trying to kill your mom to get her house after her death and Mm -hmm. maria's like nah and they're like, okay, cool, we trust you. <laughs> Maria's like, no, that's a good idea, though. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I am now. <laughs> Thanks for the suggestion. Right. <laughs> uh, but the court is, like, competent enough to ask that question and incompetent enough to believe her answer at the same time. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. Malin's husband never testifies at her trial, and later Malin is again asked to repeat a prayer, and she can't do it. She does say at one point that she's never been to Blokla or taken anyone there, but if she had done those things, uh, maybe if she did those things, that Anna Sipple, the woman she midwife for, another of the accused, would have been the one who taught her to do that. So she's like, hypothetically, if I were to have kidnapped children and (laughs) taken them to an island and molested them and had orgies i definitely would have learned it from this woman (laughs) oh my god what is even going on she didn't want to confess to having done anything but she still wanted to them happy and give them what they were looking for yeah i'm not gonna say that i did it but if i did do it it would have gone down like this yeah and take from that what you will that's stupid I am assuming that somewhere in this trial, Anna, the older daughter, must have also joined in on the accusations because, full disclosure, I am using Wikipedia today and one Swedish book excerpt I Google translated. 
because the other Swedish sources I couldn't get a hold of, and there are apparently just not English sources out there on this trial. Mm. Uh, So unfortunately, I am restricted to only knowing what's in the wiki and in the book excerpt. So I guess Anna joined in because that's what they say out of nowhere. It's daughters instead of daughter, just all of a sudden. Okay. Anyway, Malin says her daughters can fuck off and go to (laughs) Blokola forever for all she cares. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, she denies being a witch, which doesn't matter because of that change in the commission rules in 1673, one of our surprise tools. Mm -hmm. Um, And she denies doing any of the things anyone has testified that she has done. She also says that her daughters have a, quote, bad lifestyle. The court asked her to be specific, and the records say they didn't write down what she replies with because it was so offensive to decent ears. Oh my god, what could it be? That's so juicy sounding. I know. I like to imagine she just went off like cursing a blue streak in the middle of court about her kids. Like, let me tell you about these bitches. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. And everyone's like, Yeah. It's censored out the entire thing. Wow. I wonder what she said. I don't know, but I want to know. I want to know really bad. Maybe it was also incest. Like maybe she said that they were like having sex with each other or something. That would be my guess, but I don't know. I don't know how bad it has to be because we have Anna's, uh, yeah, Anna's quote about her dad fucking a cow. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty vivid detail, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they won't write down what Malin said to her daughters. It's like, what did she say that was that bad? Yeah. Hmm. Unsurprisingly, unanimously, on July 16th, 1676, Malin is given a guilty verdict, but her death is super interesting because it had to be debated by that witchcraft mm-hmm. commission I mentioned a while mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. In... Sweden, it's standard practice to behead witches and then burn them in the same way, I think it was in Scotland, off the top of my head, that they strangled and then burned their witches. Yeah. The first suggestion for Malin how to execute her is decapitate and then burn her. But a majority of the court actually wants to burn Malin alive instead, which is something that they just don't do. Oh, they do not do this. Like, hmm. it is not standard practice at all in Sweden to do this. And it really isn't standard practice in other countries to do this either. Yeah. Wow. They were over so, her. They said goodbye. Yeah. yeah. One member of the commission, a doctor, Urbanjarna, says, can we at least torture her with hot tongs until she's in shock from the pain so that she doesn't feel the burning? Like, he's trying to get these other guys to, like, lighten up a little bit. I don't really he's think like, that's better, though, is the thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not better, but, like, he did feel bad that, like, everybody wants to burn her alive. He's like, is there, like, anything we can do to make this, like, less painful for her? Okay. But I feel like being burned to death is much quicker than being tortured with hot tongs. And then burned to death. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like I don't think burning lasts that long. 
Zimmy, one, you go into shock, I would think relatively quickly. And then all of the oxygen around you is being eaten by the fire. So you're also suffocating. Yeah. And like once it goes from second to third degree burns, all your nerves are so damaged that I don't think you can feel it. Yeah. When you're being set directly on fire, I would imagine you get third degree burns pretty quickly. Yes, I would think so. Yeah. So the torture idea his art was in the right place everybody was like you know I think that's like a lateral move but okay like noted we'll write it down another member of the commission pastor Carolina says uh no I don't like the torture idea because I would rather give her a taste of what's waiting for her in hell I don't Mm -hmm. give a shit about her pain at all okay Two other commissioners agree with Carolinas because they think a violent death for Malin is going to scare the public into behaving. Mm. So they're like, guess what? If you fuck around and be a terrible witch and won't confess to it, we will f- burn you alive. Fuck around and find out. <laughs> exactly. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what they were saying. It's Sweden's motto. <laughs> The Swedish Witchcraft Commission, their motto is fuck around and find out. (laughs) I really like that. I'm a fan. (laughs) As am I. As long as I'm not on the receiving end of the fucking around and finding out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Malin is set to be burned alive, though the commission does agree to give her the courtesy of mm-hmm, tying a bag of gunpowder to her neck so she won't suffer as long. Because it'll blow her up? It'll, it, I, I looked it up and gunpowder doesn't explode when it's ignited. It just hmm. burns really fast. Oh. So if they set her on fire, like her head's going to go up in flames super fucking quick okay i see Hmm. yeah so she's probably gonna die faster because it's not going from the legs up like her head is gonna be immolated Hmm. (laughs) 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 i'm just gonna sit with that i don't really have anything to say (laughs) (laughs) they also give her the option of you know hey once we've got you down at the site the execution site If you confess when we're down there, then we'll be nice enough to chop your head off instead of burning you alive. Mm. Okay. Alan does not take that deal. (laughs) She instead holds steadfast to her innocence. So on August 5th, 1676, Malin is taken to the square in Stockholm to burn with another woman named Anna Lerka. But Anna is very humble and is falling over herself in remorse. So they behead Anna. Like, okay. we will give you the courtesy of beheading. No luck for Malin, whose okay. daughter Maria is in attendance. I'll get to where Anna is in a minute. Um She's for, she's somewhere specific, but given the option to apologize to Maria and say goodbye, she says something to the tune of go fuck yourself. Okay. Uh, yeah. And head held high. She is bound to her stake in iron gunpowder fixed around her neck. The priests beg her to confess. She says, no, Maria begs her to confess. And she says, and I'm paraphrasing, I hope you rot in hell. (laughs) Good for her. Good for her. (laughs) 
<laughs> really she's like i hope that you are cursed for eternity and satan can have you and just fuck you go fuck yourself wow thanks mom and yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would i probably would also be a little fucking better if my daughters got me burned at the stake yeah they're like mom you know, just confess, save your soul. It's like, you're the one who put me up here, you bitch. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and so Malin is set on fire and she reportedly dies mm. in silence without screaming or crying, but take that with a grain of salt uh, because witches not feeling pain is another one of those like propaganda things that got spread around. Like even in Malin's case, it's noted that anyone who can maintain their innocence that adamantly is being aided by the devil. Mm. So they always have like this, this backhanded kind of thing. Uh, and Malin could have died silently, or this is something that they could have simply written down uh, to dehumanize her. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't burn a screaming, sobbing human. We burned this stoic witch. So there's no need to feel bad. Right. To circle back before I start bringing this story to a close, Anna seems to have had some sort of a breakdown during her mother's trial. And she actually confessed to witchcraft. Whoa. Just like out of the blue, she just says, I've also been abducting kids like my mom. What the fuck? Uh, I think that she probably felt really guilty for what was going on and just like it ate at her until she confessed. I could see that. Yeah. So during her mother's execution, she's in jail for this. That's why she's not in attendance. Mm -hmm. And stick a pin in her for a second. Okay. Malin is the final execution of the Katarina witch trials and ends up bringing about the end of the great noise as a whole because others in the commission who have been uneasy about Malin's death since it happened uh, now start to band together because they aren't quite sure all of these kids are telling the truth. Like, no shit. She was. (laughs) Holy moly, you don't say. But these geniuses only come to this conclusion when kids start accusing higher-ups, members of the upper class, which is something we also saw in the Salem Witch Trials, that the second the rich get dragged into everything, the operation gets shut down. That's true. Because nobody cares about poor people. No, they don't. There's no consequences for killing poor people. There are consequences for killing rich people. Yeah. Um, This commission then comes up with a bright idea. You know, what if we make the kids like re-recite their testimonies uh, at trial instead of just reading the kids' original testimonies back to them and asking them if they're still true, which is what they were doing, is they were just reading what the kids said the first time going, hey, buddy, is this <laughs> this still hold up? And they're like, yep. And they're Sounds like, okay. Good. <laughs> yep. Geniuses. Yeah. Uh, they find out very quickly that these kids did not keep track of their lies so when they testify a second time and have to retell these stories, all of the details change. Mm-hmm. They cannot remember what they said the first time. When one kid breaks in court after being accused of lying, several of the kids start following suit, including the Yevla boy from earlier who kickstarted all of this bullshit, but also Britta Sibyl's daughter, Anika, and Malin's daughter, Anna. Um, these kids get charged with perjury and a few, including the Yevla boy, 
age 13 now are mm-hmm. executed later in the year. Wow. Others are sentenced to whippings. Uh, at least one case results in a death. Oh my gosh. He, they beat him to death. Uh, I think it was a girl. Oh, that, her, sorry. Yeah. The yellow boy was like beheaded and burned. Um, but one of the girls, I think it, it might've been Anika, but don't quote me. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just whipped and she dies. Oh my God. Malin's daughter Anna is whipped for perjury, but she is cleared of witchcraft. Um, which I imagine that she's like languishing in a cell and they're like, we fucking know witchcraft's not real. Like get out. <laughs> but also you're a liar. <laughs> you're on thin ice, <laughs> but we're not going to kill you, but don't get comfortable. <laughs> she's like, coming out of the cell she's going back in <laughs> she's coming out again <laughs> sorry <laughs> not funny it is <laughs> uh Malin's other daughter maria is warned that they know she's a perjurer and she needs to make it right i don't know if she does or not because it doesn't seem like she got punished or it's, at least it's not written down that she got punished mm. um anywho Malin was the second to last burning execution in Sweden. The last burning was of a shaman. Um, But even though the hunt came to an end and trials cooled down after, you know, the Katarina witch trials after the great noise, because the commission was disbanded and the government no longer wanted to prosecute witches and forced churches to make statements that the threat was gone. Like all the witches were gone. You have to say that all the witches are gone right now. Mm-hmm. Um, despite this, there were still a couple of witch deaths after Malin. There was uh, decapitation, suicides. There just weren't like any more burnings. Okay. Which is why she gets to be the second to last burning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malin, fun fact or not so fun fact, is the only burning in Sweden where the victim was alive at the time of burning. And I'm hoping to circle back to Sweden at some point because there are several trials here and even other women in Malin's trial, like Britta and her sister, Anna, we have decent, like a decent amount of information on them. Like I'm surprised that uh, their wikis are like just as long as Malin's are. And I've never really seen it where multiple witches in the same trial, we have that much information on each of them. But that is the story of Malin Mott's daughter. That was really good. It was extremely juicy. And it's just like really sad though, because I'm assuming all those kids were lying. Like one kid started a lie and then all the other kids were jealous of the attention. So they lied too. Mm -hmm. And then all their moms got killed. It's like... (laughs) And then they got killed too. It's like, this fucking sucks, dude. <laughs> it does. It it does suck. And in some cases, like the kids were really sorry that like they got their parents killed. Um, I mean, like, yeah. Your parents like, are dead. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? You're an orphan in medieval times. Like if you're lucky, you might live to be like 25. Like <laughs> it's. Yeah sad wasn't a great life choice yeah I can't imagine getting my parents killed for witchcraft (laughs) like even like no matter how many like arguments and stuff that we've like ever had I couldn't imagine like getting them killed by the government well yeah and there has to be a point where like 
you're so deep into the lie when you realize that like you could have maybe gone back before but like now you're past the point of no return and like things are gonna get really really bad for everybody so many people are involved other people are now accusing my parent of stuff and I might be able to retract my statements but like the other five people are still out there accusing my parents so Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's just a bad situation and like the like the satanic panic was pretty much the exact same way like got so out of hand like so quickly and the media did not help at all (laughs) just like no when when did they help (laughs) true but like just spreading so much bullshit and like cnn and like 60 minutes like do specials on like satanism and how it's like so why were they so scared of it well that's the thing to me is that like we've been scared of it for so long and it keeps like popping up in different places and different time periods. Yeah. When I was a kid, my grandparents were terrified of Harry Potter because <laughs> they're like witchcraft. It's, it's gonna <laughs> mess with your brain. You burn the books. Yeah. Yeah. Not a ton of Catholics are that way, but I do know some like from, I remember in church growing up, like some, some religious ad moms were all uh, all about uh, burning Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. The uh, Baptists and the Methodists and the Pentecostals were very up in arms. About yeah. So we're in Sweden. So I thought I would talk about the patron saint of Sweden. Um, and that is St. Bridget or St. Birgitta. She's also one of the six patron saints of Europe, so she's kind of a big deal. She was a 14th century mystic and a member of the Third Order of St. Francis, just like Elizabeth of Hungary. It was kind of like the thing for well-to-do women of the time. Bridget's visions made her a celebrity during her lifetime, but they were really controversial and they still kind of are to this day. Although she is a saint, the church has never made definitive statements about the authenticity of individual visions of hers. So she's kind of like polarizing. Um, But she is venerated in the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, and the Anglican Communion. Very short background paragraph. Sweden was Christianized in the 9th century, and Roman Catholicism remained the dominant religion of the land until the Reformation in the 16th century. In the year 1164, Sweden was granted its first ecclesiastical province, meaning that it got an archbishopric in the city of Uppsala, I think, within the province of Uppland on the eastern coast of Sweden, so like just north of Stockholm, so we're in kind of the same area. St. Bridget was born in this province. Um, Just a fun fact, Uppland apparently has the highest concentration of runestones in the world. Well, that's (laughs) cool. Jingle, jangle. Yeah. (laughs) He's awake. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so they got a lot of special Viking rocks. Um. My main sources for this are going to be Bridget's own works, specifically her book Revelations and her Vita or Hagiography. The modern English translation, which is what I read, obviously, because that's the language I speak, 
Um, <laughs> Unlike me, who bakes all of the sources in other languages and just Google I, translates them. I did not read the Swedish version, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so the modern English translation mentioned... <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Every time he does that, I think of Jenny Slate's stand-up where she's talking about... Because she's Jewish, and so she's talking about the first time that she went to... Um, like a Christmas mass. <laughs> She's like, the Christians are in the best mood. They're just like, jingle, jangle, everybody gets a present. Or <laughs> 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 the Jews are like, they tried to kill us in the past. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna do it again. <laughs> Uh, Jenny Slade is like the funniest person on the planet. Anyway, jingle jangle. Just kidding. Um, okay, the Vita mentioned that it's a good idea to think of it as like a communal effort instead of ascribing it to one person. So it was compiled by her confessor who uh, who's named Petrus or Peter. And then it was translated into Latin by the archbishop and then it was later translated into Middle English in the 15th century by Thomas Gascoigne, who was an English medieval theologian and academic administrator. He was the chancellor of Oxford, which I learned during my research um, that Oxford is the oldest English-speaking university in the world. And there's evidence of teaching there as far back as 1096. I did not know that. Is that the one that's older than like the Aztec Empire? I think so. Something's mm -hmm. older than the Aztec Empire. <laughs> I think it's Oxford. That it, would make it sense. It hurts my feelings to think of time that way. Yeah, it seems like a personal attack. Um, Thomas Gascoigne was also a priest and chaplain to Henry Fitzhugh, who was like a baron. And while Thomas served as Henry's chaplain, the two of them had traveled to Vastena in Sweden because Henry was arranging a marriage between English and Swedish royalty. And while they were there, Thomas visited the Brigittine Abbey. The introduction to the Vita said that Thomas was a great admirer of St. Bridget and a collector of Brigittine relics and manuscripts. So that's why he wrote it or translated it. So let's get into it. Bridget or her full name is Birgitta Berger's daughter. She was born in 1303. Her mother, Ingeborg, <laughs> was descended. Sorry, maybe that's still a Swedish common name, and I feel bad for making fun of it, but really, I Ingeborg, like it because it's bouncy. Ingeborg. It just throws, it throws you from letter to letter. Mm -hmm. Jingle jangle. <laughs> <laughs> um... Her mother, Ingeborg, was descended from Swedish royalty, specifically the Fulkunga family, also known as the House of Bielbo. If that sounds Bielbo. familiar, yes, that dynasty was founded by our girl, Ingegerd. Yes. Yes. Daughter of St. Canute, who I talked about in episode 18. So same family, just like 150 years later. I'm here for this. Thank you. Um, Bridget's father, Berger, was a knight and one of the richest landowners in the country. He was what's called a law speaker, which um, I guess is a position that's unique to Scandinavia. 
Um, their job is just to like preside over the regional governing assembly and to bring the people's cases to the king when necessary. So that's his job. Um, so this time we have not one, not two, but three prophecies about the saint either before her birth or shortly after. Uh, the first one is rather lame. <laughs> um, what happens is that one day Bridget's grandmother is walking past a monastery and she comes from royalty. So she's obviously like well-dressed and a nun from the monastery sees her and is like, oh, what a proud materialistic jerk. Like she's so full of herself in those fancy clothes. And then later that night, that nun has a vision in which a, quote, person of marvelous beauty, unquote, appeared and said to her, why do you backbite my handmaid and judge her to be proud? That is not true. I shall make a daughter come of her progeny with whom I shall do such great deeds in the world. And I shall give her great, great, such great grace that all people will marvel. So that's kind of weird and lame, but... Um, that was the first one. And then another one happens while Bridget's mother is pregnant with her. She's traveling by sea and the boat is shipwrecked. The boat is shipwrecked. The ship is wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> the the boat... ship is boat wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, the boat. It... No, I'm not going to keep that going. Um Lots of people on board die, but Bridget's mother makes it safely to shore. And that night, quote, a person appeared to her in shining garments and said, you are saved because of the child which you have in your body. Therefore, nourish it with God's charity because it is given to you by God's special goodness. I rather... love the, if you were not pregnant, we would have killed you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank God you're pregnant. You do not matter. Because you are simply a vessel. <laughs> uh, yeah, yikes. When Bridget is born, the hagiography says that the bishop has a vision of the Virgin Mary holding a book in her hand, and she tells him, Berger has a daughter born to him whose marvelous voice shall be heard throughout the whole world. It will be a voice of gladness and health in the tabernacles of just men. The tabernacles of the just thing, I guess, is a reference to Psalm 118, which is the one that goes like the stone that the builder is rejected will become the cornerstone. Um, and that is obviously about Jesus. So I think it's interesting that the bishop has a vision in which Bridget essentially is inserted into the role of Jesus in like a well-known psalm. I just thought that was cool. I don't really know what it means, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, first couple details we get about Bridget as a child are pretty much what you would expect from a hagiography. She wears a hair shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Not as a child. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, she doesn't speak until she's three years old. And when she starts speaking, she launches right into complete sentences. So um, we have that magic number three combined with the miraculous ability to speak, kind of like Catherine learning how to read. So now we just get like a quick list of weird shit that happened in Bridget's childhood. Um, 
When she was seven years old, she had a vision in which the Virgin Mary gave her a crown to wear. And um, from then on, she could feel it on her head at all times, the weight of it. When she was 10 years old, she first heard about Jesus's passion and death in a sermon. And that same night, she had a dream in which Jesus appeared to her wearing a crown of thorns and covered in blood. In the dream, she asked him, who did this to you? And he answered, those who have contempt for me and forget my charity. And that really stuck with her. I mean, obviously, it's a terrifying vision. Um, Cut to one night when she's 12 years old, her aunt, whom the hagiography calls her foster mother, like interchangeably. So I guess her mom must have died at some point. Um, Her aunt comes into her bedroom and finds her kneeling naked next to her bed and her aunt is like "Mm, (laughs) this kid (laughs) is doing something wrong (laughs) Uh, (laughs) let me go get the stick to beat her with um, because this is not right Um, but when she hits her with the rod it shatters and her aunt says to her quote Brigitta what have you done has some woman taught you false prayers? So I don't know exactly what that means, but it struck me as she was accusing her of some kind of weird sorcery in that moment. Um, But I didn't know, and I didn't really care to look real hard into what Swedish beliefs would have been on witchcraft at that time. Like back then. What time was this? Uh, early 14th century. So the 1300s? Yeah, 1310-ish. The 1340-50 is when that country law came out. So they, it was definitely a thing in their minds near this time. Yeah, and that's when the law was like, it had to be like harm and murder for it to be like prosecuted with execution. Okay, got it. So... Yeah, I thought the phrase like false prayers was interesting, like framing witchcraft or sorcery as prayer, just like prayer that's somehow off a bit. (laughs) Um, Anyway, in that interaction with her aunt, Bridget answers, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. I just got up to talk to Jesus because I can see him standing right over there. (laughs) And her aunt is like, oh, Christ, okay. Oh, Christ, (laughs) literally. shit, (laughs) fuck. Ah, I wasn't supposed to swear. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My bad. Um, Yeah. So in addition to seeing Jesus as a child, Bridget also saw visions of the devil, which is fun for her. Um, So it says, quote, once while St. Brigitte was playing with maidens of her own age, the devil appeared to her with a hundred hands and feet and most foul and loathsome in appearance. When she saw this, she was terribly afraid and went straight away and placed herself before the crucifix. But the devil soon appeared there and said, I have no power to do anything to you unless the crucifix allows me to do it. And then he vanished away. I don't think we've seen the devil before as having a bunch of hands and feet. Um, We've seen a lot of the devil more than we have wanted to see of the devil. (laughs) Way, way more than we wanted to know. Yeah, but I don't remember like a centipede devil. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, it kind of reminds me of like biblical angels and they're like multiple wings and heads and stuff. And eyes. Mm -hmm. Tons of eyes. Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, When Bridget is either 12 or 14, depending on the source, she is married against her will to 18-year-old Ulf Goodmerson. Um, This is in the year 1316. Ulf was a knight, and the hagiography says that he was also a virgin at the time of their marriage, which is rare in hagiographies for men to be called virgins. Usually they, like, have different words for it, or they, like, talk around it, or they call him, like, he is also pure, or he's not experienced, or they just, but they called him, they straight up called him a virgin. Like, this guy is a total loser. (laughs) He's a virgin. She married the lame-o virgin, Ulf Goodmerson. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a double standard, oh my god. Um, It's gross, but we don't have to get into all that right now. Um, uh, Yeah, so it called him a lame-o virgin, and it says that for two years after their marriage, they didn't have sex. Um, But then they decided that they probably should have kids. Um, the way I read that was that they just didn't have kids for two years after marriage, but, um, who knows what he really looked happened. at his wife and is like, this is a literal child. This is a child. <laughs> Let me not molest a child. It's kind of gross. I mean, it's extremely gross. Um, but yeah, who knows again, in case anyone needed a reminder, these hagiographies that I research are a translation of a translation of a transcription of an anecdote (laughs) (laughs) that a friend or relative told somebody else years after the events happened. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) there's no way we can know what happened between two people in private centuries ago. It's just impossible. Um, now I sound like really defensive, which I'm not, I don't give a shit. Anyway, Bridget and Ulf end up having eight children total, four sons and four daughters. Their names are Charles, Berger, Benedict, Goodmar, Martha or Marta, I'm assuming, Catherine, Ingeborg, and Cecilia. And while she's having this shitload of kids- Did have a Cecilia before? Yeah, I think it was a very common name. It's a common, like, um, Scandinavian name, I think. I don't know why. Was it Ingegerd's sister? Yeah, her twin Twin? sister was Cecilia. (laughs) Her mom said, one of my daughters is a gorgeous (laughs) angel, and the other one is Ingegerd. I still feel bad for poor old Ingegerd. Um, So while Bridget is having all these kids, she is also traveling, going on pilgrimages with her husband. She's working as a lady-in-waiting for Queen Blanche. She is writing down her visions. She's really living her life. She's not just stuck at home, like, changing diapers or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that, (laughs) if that's your calling. Um, Not for me. It's not for me. It's not for Bridget. So then we get a little paragraph about each of her children. Um, Her oldest one, Charles, was a knight who went with her on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but he died along the way. 
Um, a few days after he died, Bridget had a vision of him ascending to heaven. Her second son, Berger, also became a knight. Her third son, Benedict, died young from an illness, I think as an infant. The youngest son also died in infancy. The eldest daughter, Marta, was only mentioned in reference to her wedding, which I guess Bridget did not approve of and like refused to attend. But that's like the only detail we get of her. Um, the second daughter, Catherine, seems like she was the favorite. They were always together, especially after Catherine's husband died. Um, Catherine later became a saint as well. The third daughter, Ingeborg, became a nun and died shortly after. And then Cecilia, the youngest, I guess that um, her birth was the most difficult for whatever reason, and Bridget nearly died during the birth. But um, the Virgin Mary appeared to her and gave her like a blessing. So the hagiography says that because of this, Cecilia was very special to Bridget. Um, after all of her children were born, Bridget and her husband went on more pilgrimages. They went to Santiago de Compostela, the way of St. James. They went to Jerusalem, to Rome. They did it all. Um, they also went to the shrine of St. Olaf in Norway, which was, I guess, a family tradition on Bridget's side. Her father, her grandfather, great-grandfather, everybody had all gone and visited the shrine. I have no clue why. <laughs> so I apologize. Um, I tried to follow like the Wikipedia trail to see if they were like somehow related. I couldn't find out, but I wouldn't discount it since they were all like Scandinavian royalty. Um, anyway, when Bridget and Ulf finally returned to Sweden, the hagiography says that, quote, by common consent, they both entered into religion. So they both joined the third order of St. Francis. Um, like Elizabeth and Louis. And their home base was the Cistercian Abbey at Alvastra, I think, in Sweden. Um, so while they're hanging out there, Bridget develops this idea for a new religious order that followed the rule of St. Augustine, and she would call it the Order of the Most Holy Savior. It would later be called the Bridgetine Order. Her idea was for a dual order. So in medieval times, monks and nuns lived in dual monasteries, and still today, there are both male and female members of this order. Um, Bridget also became known in the region at this time for her works of charity, particularly toward mothers and their children. That was kind of her special, she had a special place for them. Okay, so a few years after she and Ulf returned to Sweden in 1344, um, he got sick. And on his deathbed, he put his wedding ring on Bridget's finger. But... <laughs> um, she didn't keep it after he died. <laughs> Just yeeted it. <laughs> yeah. She said that her love died with him. Um, <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> it's out so of funny. sight, out of mind. <laughs> it's so funny because like Elizabeth of Hungary was like, he is dead. The whole world is dead. <laughs> and Bridget's like, mm throws the ring over her shoulder. Um, bye. Yeah, she did not seem uh, real broken up about it. Um, I mean, she hadn't wanted to get married in the first place. That was never something she wanted. So um, Wikipedia said that they were married for 28 years. So that would make her either 40 or 42 when he died. He was buried in the monastery. And after that, Bridget just kind of 
cleaned house. She gave away all their land and possessions to her children and to the poor. And then she just packed a little bag, one of those bandanas on a stick, and she hitchhiked <laughs> to Rome. She said, goodbye, Sweden. Sayonara. Um, so the text mentions that she went to Rome with her daughter, Catherine, the favorite, and two male companions. One of them was Peter, um, who compiled her hagiography later. And the other is an unnamed Swedish priest. I think both of them were her confessors, but I'm not 100% sure. It wasn't super clear. Um, along with introducing the two of those guys, the text also mentions at this point that she wore not a hair shirt exactly, but a rough woolen cloth beneath her clothes, um, along with three hemp cords symbolizing the Trinity as you do, um, that she tied tightly one around her stomach and one around each leg beneath the knee, which is like compression sock kind of situation. So maybe she was ahead of her time. <laughs> she wasn't getting a blood clot. Um, <laughs> or maybe, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what she was doing there. I guess three is a magic number. What's that um, thing called that goes around your thigh? A garter? No, the um, the medical thing. Is it like a silice or something like that? I'm the, not gonna pretend with... to know. <laughs> One second, I, I gotta Google it. It's a it's a torture thing that you wrap around your thigh in religion. Oh, like in the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I googled exactly silice and about. it shows up as. Uh, one of the definitions is hair shirt. Oh, Lord. <laughs> upsets me greatly. <laughs> Your favorite. Um, I, I just, I have to know. Other features were added to make Celise's more uncomfortable, such as thin wires or twigs. Yeah. Shirt with cords. Okay. So, yeah, maybe it's that. Yeah. And there's some that, like, go around your thigh and shit. Got Sorry. I, no, I, 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 I had to, to know. It would have been bothered me for hours. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> it is good to know. Um, okay, so she fasted four times a week. Um, she slept for short periods and on the ground. She went to confession every day. On Fridays, she ate bitter herbs and she burned herself with candle wax, as Sexy. you do. <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> sexy um <laughs> when when she was in rome she would walk everywhere even though she had a horse um and the text this cracked me up the text said that she knelt so often for such long periods of time like at the stations of the cross or whatever that her knees quote became as hard as those of a camel <laughs> Who was touching them to find out? <laughs> I, know. I know. Again, that weird confessor relationship where it's like the secrets I know about her body. It's like gross. Imagine someone touching your knees though and going, ah, yes, the texture of a camel. <laughs> Old camel knee. <laughs> That's rude. I'm going to hell. <laughs> he said it first, not me. Uh, in Rome, she had a couple things that she liked to do she would take in clothing from the poor and she would mend it for free 
Um, she opened her house to poor people and she uh, would feed them and let them sleep there. She worked in hospitals and this is during an outbreak of plague in 1350. Fun fact, Catherine of Siena was three years old at this time. I like to imagine these two ladies existing at the same time in the same country. Um, and I think it's interesting how like natural disasters and wars and pandemics can create these like clusters of saints. It makes me wonder if we'll see some come out of this time, um, maybe in like a hundred years or whatever. It's cool to think about. So Bridget lived the rest of her life in Rome with her confessors and her daughter Catherine, except for like occasional pilgrimages. Back in Sweden, the order she had founded continued to grow. Um, and she would send back like instructions or like advice or stuff like that. But it was kind of like a hands-off situation. Um, King Magnus actually donated land and a palace for the order, but Bridget never returned to Sweden to see it. There were a few different reasons why she stayed in Rome. She wanted to be at the epicenter of the church where all the shrines and the monuments were, um, the tombs of the apostles. She also wanted papal approval for her new religious order because um, they're kind of doing everything on their own right now. And that can be dangerous, as we've seen. <laughs> they don't want to get uh, executed for heresy. Um, but the dealio was that this was during the time of the Avignon papacy. So the pope was not in Rome. <laughs> he was out of the office. Um but she believed, like Catherine of Siena did, that he belonged in Rome and he would eventually return. So she refused to travel to Avignon to seek his approval there. She's like, I'm sitting right here till you come back, sir. Um, so she waited 20 years for him to return to Rome. Um, during those 20 years, she became really well known in Rome and throughout the whole of Europe, both because of her works of charity and because of her writings about her visions. Um, the main vision that inspired her to start writing them down was one that she had had on the shores of a lake in Sweden, in which Jesus told her, you shall be my bride. And she said that in her heart, she felt something living uh, and she said it was turning and turning around. Um, so from then on, she wrote them all down sort of like as they were happening and they began to be distributed during her lifetime. So it wasn't like, oh, she's dead. Look what she did. It was like, she's a celebrity. Um, her collected writings are called her revelations. I believe it's seven books. Um, and there are like compiled versions online. I read a lot of it and I skimmed all of it. They're definitely worth reading. Um, I was surprised at like how many different modes of rhetoric they, um, they took. So there are sections where it's like Bridget's own personal prayers that she's including in the text and like meditations that she wrote. But then there are sections with the subtitles, Jesus speaks or Mary speaks. Um, in which Jesus or the Virgin Mary have apparently like appeared to her and she's written down what they said. And they talk about all kinds of things like um, events in the Bible, like for the main one, probably. So like Jesus talks about his own passion and his own crucifixion, or Mary talks about witnessing it. Um, it's really interesting because 
the New Testament, even like when it's at its best story-wise, like with Luke, it's still very spare, like hardly any detail. But Bridget's writings are like really detailed, um, really rich. So this is from Mary's point of view of Jesus's death. Quote, then his lovely and beautiful eyes took the hue of death. His mouth opened and appeared full of blood, his countenance pallid and sunken, livid and blood-stained from the constant stream of flowing blood. The virginal flesh of that most holy body was so delicate and tender that a livid welt appeared from the slightest blow. It's like very intense physical description. Um, and that was reported to be from a vision she experienced while she was on pilgrimage to Calvary, the site of the crucifixion. If you are interested in the passion, whether you are Catholic and you're looking for meditations to read that you haven't read before while you do like Stations of the Cross or whatever, or if you haven't really read anything about the passion, but you would like to, I would say that Bridget is kind of your go-to lady. Um, if she were a fiction writer, it would be what we call her great subject, that thing she's obsessed with and keeps coming back to. Um, but a lot of her stuff still falls under the category of like what you would expect a saint to write about. Um, expanding on things like the passion and the nativity with like not really shocking revelations so much as like an interesting personal style. Um, but there were a few things in different books of the revelations that stuck out to me, like stuff I hadn't seen at all before. Um, so there's a big section where Jesus is telling Bridget things about the world, about heaven, the state of her soul, etc. Um, he describes the world before salvation as being like an unclean well. It's like a cool extended metaphor. Then there's a moment where Bridget is praying and Jesus is talking about her to an angel, like looking down at her and he and the angel are talking to each other about what they think Bridget needs. And she's like overhearing it. Um, and Jesus asks the angel, what is good for this new bride of mine? Jesus refers to her and she refers to herself as the bride in the text. And the angel says, she has a proud and arrogant heart, and therefore a cane is needed for her so that she may be tamed. Like the angel's like, we gotta beat her. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, I'm not gonna beat her. Like, I want her to be my friend. <laughs> so that's what she overhears them talking about. Um, another moment that stuck out to me was when Jesus is talking about this particular Cistercian abbot. I'm not sure if this was at Alvastra Abbey or somewhere else, but this abbot, I guess, had buried an excommunicated person, which is like a big no-no. And Bridget had a vision after the burial in which Jesus said about the abbot, quote, my enemy has three devils in himself. The first sits in his sexual organ, the second in his heart, the third in his mouth. The first is like a skipper who lets water in through the keel. The water rises by increasing gradually and then fills up all of the ship. Then the water floods over and the ship sinks down. This ship is his body that is harassed by the temptations of devils and by his own lusts as though by tempestuous waves. The second devil sits in his heart and is like a worm lying inside an apple. The worm first eats the core of the apple and then leaves its filth there and crawls around inside the whole apple until it is completely useless. This man is indeed an apple without a core, that is to say, a man without a heart. 
The third devil is like an archer who looks out through the windows and shoots at the careless. Therefore do I, who am the truth, swear by my truth that I shall condemn him like a whore to the sulfurous fire, like a deceitful traitor to the mutilation of all his limbs. However, as long as his soul and body are united, my mercy stands ready for him. Um, just like roasting this abbot, like out of nowhere. And Bridget's just like hearing Jesus just like go off on a rant about him. Um, so then it says that Bridget told the abbot what she had heard and that the abbot went to confession, repented, and then died like three days later. <laughs> um, so just in time. <laughs> Um, there's also a chapter in which Bridget sees and hears the devil fighting with Jesus and Mary over the soul of a quote-unquote harlot. I think this is in Rome, but I'm not sure. Um, so the devil is explaining to Jesus why this woman has chosen to follow him, and he says, quote, I deceived her with three sins, namely gluttony, love of money, and sensuality. Consequently, I now dwell in her belly, and I hold her with five hands. With the first hand, I hold her eyes, so she will not see spiritual things. With my second hand, I hold her hands, so she will not do any good deeds. With the third hand, I hold her feet, so she will not walk to that which is good. With the fourth hand, I hold her reason and understanding, so she will not be ashamed to sin. And with the fifth hand, I hold her heart, so she will not return to the right way through remorse and penance. Again, centipede devil, his hands all over the place. He's grabby. <laughs> he's real touchy. <laughs> super uncomfortable. <laughs> um, he's that guy at the bar that puts his hand on your lower back. Okay, I'm done. Um, so then after seeing all that, Bridget said, quote, move away, devil, for you have troubled and occupied this creature of God enough. I like how she calls the quote unquote harlot a creature of God. I think that's nice. Um, probably no one else would refer to that woman that way, which is sad. Um, and she's like, creature. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the woman's like, okay, I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> creature um so okay after she had said this the woman laid a half hour as if dead with her eyes to the ground and then she got up and said in truth i saw the devil going out through the window in the most hideous of shapes and i heard a voice saying to me you are in truth liberated from the devil um so there's cool stuff in the revelations that i really like in addition to the normal stuff that you would expect um, I love how embodied the visions are. We see things like the Virgin Mary pouring sweet wine into Bridget's mouth. We see sinners described as having bloated, stinking, pus-filled intestines. Um, we see comparisons to alchemy, the weak heart being made of copper and easily melted down and molded by the devil. Um, it's a very rich book, and that definitely had something to do with its being so like widely distributed and read throughout medieval Europe. So she was also surrounded by a lot of controversy. Some of the promises that she made in the revelations were criticized as like too specific or too grand. Um, for example, she promised that anyone who recited certain prayers a certain amount of times would like for sure gain the salvation of their soul, 
which is kind of like indulgences like who who gave her the right to distribute these indulgences really only the pope can do something like that and especially later during the reformation she was really criticized um martin luther i read that he initially was interested in her visions but then he dismissed them all as like the ravings of a lunatic and he called her the foolish bridget um Lutherans and other Protestant denominations tried to like sort of downplay or get rid of beliefs in like angelic entities like the ones that Bridget wrote about. Um, they called them popish and pagan legacies. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we see like a much lesser devotion to Mary in Protestantism than we do in Catholicism. Um, because Mary is always associated with angels. She's the queen of angels, the queen of heaven. Um, and if angels are a pagan influence, then Protestants can't hold Mary in such a high honor. Um, the Brigittine order was approved by Pope Urban V in 1370 when the papacy returned to Rome. Only three years after the approval, Bridget died in Rome on July 23rd, 1373, at the age of 70. Um, I couldn't find how she died, but I mean, 70 is real old for medieval times, so like, it could have been fucking anything at that point. Um, after Bridget's death, her son Berger and her daughter Catherine brought her relics back to the Brigittine Monastery in Vastena. Bridget was canonized in 1391, so pretty shortly after her death. The Brigittine order has spread throughout the world, although many of the original monasteries were suppressed and destroyed during the Reformation. In 1999, Pope John Paul II named St. Bridget a patroness of Europe. Her feast day is July 23rd, the day of her death. And that is St. Bridget of Sweden. I think I would have to really sit down and read, like do a really close reading of all her stuff to see what I really think about it. Because mm -hmm. I like, I didn't get that super into it during my research because I didn't have like time to read a 500 page book. It's really interesting that that writing has survived though. Yeah, as, a, as opposed to like the writing of her contemporaries, which hasn't in some cases. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like, ah, oh, the ravings of a lunatic. Let's <laughs> pass those through history. Well, maybe that's why. Like, if they were, like, not objectionable at all, maybe everyone would have been like, yeah, who cares? Like, mm -hmm. this is a thing, and nobody gives a shit about it. But because people argued about it, they're like, this is important. I wonder what the moral of that is. Be as objectionable as possible write something people will argue with. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Thank you all so much for listening. We love you. Even though we don't <laughs> know you, we love you. Um, go to Instagram. Check out <laughs> photos. Look at all the stuff we include in the episode description of how you can get a hold of us and find us on social media. Yeah. Uh, email us, get a hold of us anywhere. If you want to recommend an episode, something for us to talk about, it can be a place, it could be a time period, it can be a theme, it could be a specific trial or person or whatever that you're interested in. Yeah. The time period one is a good idea. 
Because often people don't have like specific examples, but they're like, oh, I like this time in history. Like everybody's got a favorite historical period. Mm -hmm. Or at least the nerds that I know have a favorite historical period. I'm very into the Hundred Years War. And I like the plague. I just, I'm, I'm into the plague. <laughs> I enjoy general. the plague. <laughs> I generally enjoy the vibe of the Black Death. <laughs> this is sarah in a nutshell if i had to reduce her to one sentence it would be that sentence <laughs> i'm into it it works for me <laughs> i celebrate it um okay whatever the fuck that means goodbye <laughs> and as always thanks be to god blessed be